Hi, welcome to the next uh, Delta podcast. We've had a few podcasts focusing on specific areas of exercise and nutrition science. And again, feel free to check those out after this one. This podcast is going to break away a little from that topic and discuss creating a successful business. There's plenty of books out there that are designed to help you. Uh, but I do sort of feel they may lack the personality of just sitting here and listening to someone who's actually gone and done it. So hopefully this podcast will help you if you're about to embark on your therapy or allied healthcare related business. So I'm delighted today uh, to welcome Mike Weiss to the session. Hi, Mike. Hi. Hi, dear Mark. Good, thank you. So Mike's the owner of Birmingham Movement Therapy, a uh, former university lecturer, and someone who's been around for a good few years. I don't mean that negatively. <laughs> I don't really want to read out his resume because I think it'd be quite nice to, to let Mike talk about his timeline and his journey. So of what he's done to position himself as a highly regarded therapist. So thanks for joining us again, Mike. And it's It'd be nice to sort of start off with a little bit from you on your journey into into getting to Birmingham Movement Therapy, if that's all right. Yeah, of course. Yeah, no problem. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I've been at this game for, where are we now, 2020, so 25 years now. Um, I started off, uh, I did... I did one of the old GMVQs, uh, which was the generally not very qualified, as they were, as they were called back then. Uh, and it was in leisure and tourism back in college. Um, there, there weren't any kind of A-levels that I really wanted to do. And to be fair, I wasn't really given much much guidance from my school about where to go to get onto the degree I wanted to do. And I was a bit kind of lost. I, li- I liked going to the gym. Um, I liked I liked training. I liked sports. So uh, it seemed like the thing to do, and uh, my my dad was in the in the forces as well. It's, it's a kind of lifestyle that that you know. And um, we we were stationed in RAF Chivener, so we were in North Devon uh, when I was at school, and then and then we had to move to RAF Sanathan in South Wales. So I had to pretty much choose whatever courses were available so uh i uh yeah that that one caught my eye so i I did that one and um it's really weird how things worked out because it was it was the start of all that kind of gmvq stuff and mvq stuff and nobody really knew what it was about and uh uh we got placements in the local leisure center so uh and one of the guys that was a lecturer on on the course uh he 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 was one of the duty managers there so um we basically had a bit of an in into the leisure complex so i started off um yeah in fact he he used to run the catering side bizarrely and uh so he used to hire us students on on his course uh, to do all the kind of silver service waitering and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, so that that's that's where I kind of started in leisure, really. And um, I uh, I was obviously interested in the gym. And between my first and second year at the college, there was a there was a course. Uh, called, it was the Welsh Weight Training Association uh, course. I don't even know whether it still exists. Wow, probably um, not. Probably not. It was it was similar to the kind of baller thing, and uh, it was a it was a two day course, and it then uh, qualified me to be a gym instructor. So um, and that that was it. That that was the training back then, and uh, so I, I did that course, and uh, it cost me fifty quid. And, and quite that, a lot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I remember having a, a bit of an argument with my mate because I was going, "Are oh, you doing this course?" And he goes, "No, it's fifty quid." And, uh, and, you know, he didn't do it and I did. And then that, that was the kind of start of everything, really. 
And um, yeah, fr- from that, I then uh, I did some work in the gym at the leisure center uh, to get work experience and uh, trained as a lifeguard as well. So did that stuff too. And then um, and then I got my first job pretty much as soon as I uh, finished that course. And I, I worked in a little hotel in the middle of uh, middle of Wales. And uh, it's, it's really bizarre how things work out because there's there's a physio. Um, you might have heard of it, the endurance physio, Mike James. And uh, Mike's become a really good mate now. And uh, he's from Cowbridge, which is where I used to work. Uh, it's, it's so, so weird how, how things work out. But um, yeah, that, so that was my first proper gym job was in Cowbridge in South Wales. And uh, I was there for about a year um, and got really, really bored. All of my mates went off to uni and I was thinking, what what the heck do I do? So I uh, I decided to go to what was then the Birmingham College of Food, Tourism and Creative Studies. Yeah, and, uh, very well. Yeah, so I, I started... Uh, there in 97 uh, I think it was and um, the reason why I chose the course was because it was four years long and I thought well in four years I'll kind of have a clue about what I want to do yeah Um, no excuse not to work four years (laughs) yeah Yeah. so uh, yeah and and it had a sandwich year in the course as well and I I like the idea of that of uh, having that kind of work experience and earning a bit of money again so um, and uh I turned up on the induction day and uh, what it was the first time I'd ever been to Birmingham. I'd ne- never been before and I literally just moved there. It's the kind of thing I think that someone who's been in the military uh, or from a military background uh, just does and they don't really worry about. And uh, yeah, so I, I went along and um, I remember I walked into the college gym, the university gym at the time and uh, asked if they had any jobs and they did. And I started the next week. So I, I worked uh, in the college gym uh, throughout my four years there. Um, and I, my, my degree was in hospitality and leisure management. So, uh, but, and I, I did it because of what I'd done before. And uh, I thought it'd be a nice, nice lead in. But um, I absolutely hated the, uh, the hospitality side. Um, uh, and uh, I loved the, I loved the leisure side, obviously. That, that was where my kind of passions le- uh, lay and, um, I, I learned lots of things to do with managing buildings and uh, operations management, um, uh, financial management, all of the things that it didn't really matter what business I went into. I could I could use those skills and transfer those skills to to a number of different areas, and I, I think that that really has helped me uh, as I've gone through um, being where I am now. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, so I, d- I did. I mean, typical me, really. I was I was never um, just uh, kind of satisfied just doing one thing. So I did. I did the gym uh, at college. I, I used to work there in the week. Um, I then used to. I got another job at a Cannons Health Club in the city centre um, that had literally just opened, and that that opened in ninety eight. So uh, yeah, I was a mutual acquaintance, isn't it, from twenty odd years ago, if I remember? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's mad, isn't it? How, <laughs> how things, uh, how things fit together. And then, um, yeah, so I, I was there. I was there, how long was I there? I was there for about four years. Well, yeah, throughout the four years of the degree, and uh, and I did my sandwich year at that health club as well. So um, they they took me on as a full time employee, and um, yeah, f- finished after that 
that year, finished off my degree, and then Canons then used me as a um, operations manager for uh, a brand new health club in Warwick. So uh, I went down there and op- opened that that club, um, and that that was mental. Five thousand member club, and we were pre pre selling that club. Uh, and then I did about six months pre-sale there before I moved to uh, Canuck and uh, opened up Cannon's Health Club in Canuck, uh, which is still there now. I think it's Nuffield now. Um, and that was back in 2000, 2001. And I, I, was, I was the ops manager. So um, I, uh, I used to do all the gym stuff. So I knew the gym floor really well. I used to be the lifeguard. So I knew how to run a pool and do all that kind of stuff. So the good thing with having done that, those other roles, uh, when I went into a management role, uh, I could easily work with a team because I wasn't just a manager who was telling them what to do. I actually knew what they needed to do as well. So uh, they they knew that I couldn't, you know, they couldn't pull the wool over my eye sort of thing. But, um, yeah, the, um, the it, it was weird because I, I worked for some really good managers, um, really good club managers, but then I worked with some really poor ones as well. And um, I think you learn uh, a lot from both, and yep. um, p- picked up some really good things from uh, from the good ones, and things what not to do from the from the not so good ones. And uh, that one of the things that the guys who was very good, um, he had a chat with me. He said, where do you want to go? And I said, well, I, I really want to get into training and, and teaching because I missed that that side. Uh, I, I really enjoyed doing personal training and teaching classes and all that. And, and being in a management role, you it, it was just gone. So, uh, yeah, I, w- I went into lifeguard training and um, first aid training. So uh, that they got me qualified up to do the MPLQ stuff. Yeah. And uh, so I did that. And then I, I then took on all the training at the club. And um, and that, that that was probably the real key that got me into teaching and education and, and work when I ended up at teaching at university. Um, I, I, can't, I had this, um, and I still, I think most people do, I had a bit, bit of a kind of imposter syndrome where, well, why should I uh, be delivering to these guys when I've not really been doing it for that long? Um, so, uh, I, I always kind of worried about the level of education I had, um, with everything that I did. So I, I used to always go on courses, um, every weekend, uh, well, not every weekend, but most weekends I'll be on a course. I did, I, I did loads of additional CPD training. Um, and, uh, and, and I was interested in, in teaching as well. So I did night school, 7407 I think it was back then and um, did my teacher training stuff there and then that then got me a role at Matthew Bolton College in the city centre of Birmingham and um, and then I started teaching uh, level two level three gym PT courses and uh, sports massage courses Um, so I did I did that and I I was there for um, about five years altogether so um and they put me through my cert ed then so i did i did um i did my proper uh sort of teaching qualification um so so that was good um and then yeah from there well before they did the sports massage i had to get qualified in it um because i'd always had an interest in injury management and um that there was some some of my colleagues at the gym had done sports massage before so I was used as the obligatory body to practice on. I was quite happy for that to happen. 
Um, and then I was like, right, okay, um, yeah, I, fa- I fancy doing this. So I did, I did a sports therapy diploma um, down in Oxford. And that was uh, that was a year long course, and um, that then gave me the qualification then to be able to teach it. So um, yeah, but Matthew Bolton was the first place I taught um, sports therapy, um, wow. and that was back in two thousand seven, something like that. Um, so uh, yeah, it, it's kind of went took that journey from gym instructor, bit of teaching, running clubs, so a bit of a mixture of all the qualifications I'd done really, and. Uh, and then, um, yeah, the the thing that then changed my career path to where I am now was the sports therapy course because the guy or one of the guys that was teaching on that course was an osteopath. And um, he was by far the best in terms of um, like teaching. He was really good. Anatomy was just, he just nailed everything. He was brilliant. And uh, and I was thinking, you know what, that that's the kind of thing. And I'd never even heard what an osteopath was. So uh, I was like, yeah, that, that's the kind of thing I want to do. And um, and it was part time as well. So it was over five years. Uh, so I thought, right, yeah, that will fit in with family life and everything. So I then started on um, started on my osteo kind of journey. And um, I did it alongside teaching at Matthew Barton College uh, for the first three years. And then the last two years of uni were pretty full on um they they weren't really part-time it it was a full-time course um so what happened then was I had to reduce my hours at at the uh at the college uh so that I could pay from uh, so that I could do my uh, hours at uni but then obviously I I lost um I lost income so um I then kind of pulled on the old operational and health and safety stuff that I used to do and this is really weird but I got a job as a fire trainer so uh (laughs) so i used to i used to go around um building sites in london uh with a a piece of fire training kit that would give you a fire on a screen that you could put in a doorway and then you had a digital extinguisher that you had to put the uh, the fire out with (laughs) and uh uh, and it was it, it was meant I I I absolutely hated it, <laughs> but uh, but it paid really well. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. It uh, it got me through um, paying off my uni fees, and uh, yeah, something I never really want to do again. But it's um, sometimes you have to do those things, don't you? Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, so then, after the osteo degree, I went and did. Uh, postgrad in clinical anatomy at Keel Uni, yep. uh, and uh, did uh, dissections there for two years. Um, that that was that was awesome, great experience. And uh, and then and then I got the job where I met where I met you um, over at UCB. So I kind of went full circle. I went from the old College of Food back to the new College of Food um, with with the sports therapy degree. And yep. um, yeah, it t- took a bit of time to uh kind of bed in there and um uh you you know how it is working at universities and um uh and I was there for I was there for seven years altogether uh and I was only part-time because and I I only wanted to do part-time work because I was trying to build my clinic and and uh and, and and that's where I am now so uh yeah I did three years probably doing both um, and then I went pretty much full time into my clinic uh, about two years ago. 
so it's um yeah it's been a long it's been a long old journey and to get here um yeah quite a few bumps along the way and you kind of wonder whether it's all all worth it um but now i've got my own facility amazing gym um really good team and um and from the teaching stuff that i used to do years ago i developed my own courses as well so um i I now split my time pretty much 50 50 between patients and and teaching so it's it's a nice mix it's it's a good mix yeah, and we had that chat just before we we started recording in terms of how that's now changed in recent times and um, and the sort of skills you got to develop. So I think, I mean, the, the journey's just it's just great to listen to, isn't it? We've we've gone from silver service lifeguard to running your own business and, and lecturing at university and everything in between. Yeah, and I, I think I just picked up on the some of those skills, and I guess that might be quite nice to talk about now. Some of those skills you learned and how they help. So the ops management, the finance management. Yeah. You no, know, you selling so obviously your courses you run now which we'll come on to in a bit obviously how do you get those clients to actually sign up and and take part in your courses and keep them to come back for more or yeah for EPD so I think it'd be just quite nice if we could just how do those skills actually help so you said you've got operational management experience you've got finance financial management experience you know how have they helped you as an individual because it because when you first started out Birmingham Movement, that was just you. Is that is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so um, it, it was a bit scary actually because um, uh, I managed to negotiate half half rent um, with the landlord uh, for the uh, for the place for the first three months, um, and uh, it's uh, being really naive. Uh, and and this is something to really check out if you're opening your own place. Make sure you get someone to explain the lease to you. Uh, (laughs) because they will tell you one thing and then when the lease is signed it's completely different to what they've told you so uh yeah um I I was expecting to pay monthly and then all of a sudden I got a bill for the for the first quarter up front and I was like whoa okay um so I was like right that that's not going to happen um and I literally built this place from I had nothing I had no savings nothing so everything I earned went into paying this guy's rent um, which is it is so so frustrating at the beginning um, because you're working your, your nuts off and uh, you know that you're not seeing anything from it um, but you you've got to have that in your head that it will come one day and that and that's the thing if you keep doing it and you keep doing it and you keep at it one day it will turn around and that and that red number will turn black eventually um, but you, you've got to keep going. Uh, I, I mean, obviously, you don't keep going when it's obviously failing. But if it's going in the right direction, and of you course. know it's just going to incrementally grow. But the, this is the, the thing with clinics is they they don't just open overnight. You know, you you can't you can't just open them and then expect to be full. Uh, and uh, I've had quite a few clinicians working with uh, with me where um, that they expect you know a full patient list on that first day, and I say look. It's going to take you about a year to be full for one day, yeah. And and, th- and that's realistic, yeah. So if if you think um, if you want to work full time, you want to do five days a week, it's going to take you five years to build that kind of business yeah. because you, you know you, you're opening in a place where no one knows you, and um, you know you've done no advertising, uh, and the the business grows from word of mouth. So if you do a really good job with someone. Um, then they will tell their friends and then you'll be the person to contact and it and it grows like that so it's this real slow growth 
if you get anything really quick, like these, you know, these offer websites where they go, oh, yeah, do, do these offers, we'll get you loads of clients in. Those people aren't interested in quality care that they just want a freebie treatment and and that's it so if you go down that route you'll be exhausted and at the end of it you'll have no clients yeah, yeah. of course it's uh, so it, it, when you set up in birmingham was the competition around by you or did you, did you even look at was the competition or just decide this is what i'm <laughs> going to do so i'm going to do it anyway whether, <laughs> whether there's an osteo clinic next door or not what was uh, that yeah yeah there, there's i mean the, the the thing is though i've uh, that there's how many uh, I've become pretty good mates with the physios in the area because if there's people that I can't deal with for whatever reason then then I'll re- I'll quite happily refer them on yeah, um, so I mean obviously when when no one knows you it's um uh, you know they're kind of like who who the heck is this you know to trying to um work with me but um on on the whole uh, i've been uh, ex- accepted and i've been accepting of people with with open arms because when you're on your own opening a clinic it's a lonely place and uh, you know you you come from uni like like when we used to do the clinical stuff at uni you'd have um two or three tutors there where you could go well what about this what about that when you graduate there's no one yeah. yeah, it's just you. So if you've got other people in your area that um, that you can turn to just for a bit of advice or, you know, just, I, I just meet up for breakfast or a coffee with them. And yeah, um, yeah so we, we've created a really good rapport. And and also we, we deal with different kinds of people as well. So we've we've got some really, really good therapists in Harborn where I am. Um, we've got one of the leading pelvic um, health physios, uh, male and female um, pelvic girdle pain. Um, so any kind of gynae problems, any pelvic pain problems, I've got the, per- I, I don't deal with them. Uh, you know, if they come through as an inquiry, then I'll say, do you know what? Rather than see me, I think you should go see this guy because they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're referring you anyway. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just save you, save you the trip to me for me to refer you out. You just go there straight away. And, and I think you need to be like that. Um, even- and I guess that's quite awful. A lot of people who in, in any degree, so I'm obviously an exercise scientist by background and, and I guess if there was a biomechanics issue, which maybe not necessarily would have been mine, or psychology, which probably furthers the way, to, to refer someone to a sports psychologist for a lot of people would be quite difficult. They might try to muddle through a bit and say they can do it. But in reality, building those bridges with people who are probably or considerably more qualified or more qualified than you is, is a good thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I think it would be reciprocated as well. Well, it should be. Um, and if it and if it isn't, then you just lose that. You know, you lose that relationship. But um, I, you know, if you, if you can, it, it's hard though at the beginning when you're just trying to start because you just need. You, I mean, this is the the ethical dilemma, isn't it? With with owning a, a private practice, you you need the money in to pay the bills. Um, yeah. But then, and you might take a gamble with a couple of um, patients that you know you know a bit about. But really, you should refer them, and uh, I would recommend referring them every time. I think um, if you um, if you ever have that doubt, then then just pass them on, um, because e- even at the beginning, um, I know it's going to be it's going to hit you in the pocket, but long term, it will pay off. Yeah, so I guess, I guess if you're if you are one of those people that's going to write a business plan, then scoping out that local area and almost getting your your bridges built early definitely is quite a nice idea. Is is to offer the breakfast and. You know, there's a lot of this world probably could be sold over a bacon sandwich and a cup of coffee. <laughs> um, probably, probably worth doing to have a look around the area. 
and, and say, I'm thinking of doing this. There's enough people to go around for most things. So yeah, definitely, yeah. And um, I, I think cause what what I always imagine with my place was I d- I remember at the beginning I drew, uh, drew I put the person in the center, so the clients in the center, and then I drew kind of like a circle around that person, and I thought, right, what what would they need for complete health? And um, so you know, you have got the osteo side, physio, um, chiro, um, dietitian mental health exercise specialists um strength and conditioning and kind of like do a spider diagram of what what kind of things this person might need and then i went out and found those people to fill in the gaps and um and some of them joined my team at the clinic uh but some of them work outside of the clinic and uh, but we all work together so it, it works really well yeah, brilliant. And in terms of maybe just a bit on the on the um, the sort of operational management side, so you're trying to run a gym, you're buying kit left, right, and centre to try and fill a square space, are you to yeah. to make it look a bit nicer each time? So how, how does the how that sort of operational experience sort of help you out with putting together the facility that people actually wanted? Yeah, yeah. So um, with. I think that's where um, uh, the, looking at what gyms have done in the past that I've worked in was really good because, um, I mean, we, we in the big health clubs, they just spend money ridiculously on, on kit, you know. And uh, so I had to choose things that had the biggest bang for the buck. So um, rather than getting a preacher curl, um, we'll go, right, let's get a set of dumbbells and you can do loads of stuff with that. You know, it's uh, it, it, you need to look at um, – the because my place is only quite small so I, I needed to have kit where um and a setup um because i'm really big into strength and conditioning and uh, I, I needed something where um i the message was i don't want you to be in the treatment room with me i want you to be in the gym um so we i i I mean, I'd built up some kit over the years anyway, because I always had the idea I was going to have my own place. So my, my house was full of full of kit and the, the wife was going mental. But when, the, when the place opened, it was great because I could just move all my stuff into there. Um, but uh, yeah, I had freestanding racks at the beginning because they were 50 quid each. And then once I had enough money, then I, I bought like proper racks and um, we got them bolted to the wall. Um, one of the... Uh, pieces of expensive kit i got first just because it's got a really small um small um uh square footage was um a uh a flywheel so an um, eccentric flywheel yeah yeah. Uh, yeah the old k box and uh that that has been such a good piece of kit and they're doing very well Oh yeah, doing really well. Yeah, I mean, and it's good to see that they're, they're really nice guys over there. They're really helpful. I was I was one of the first places to get it in the UK, and um, uh, yeah, that so you know we, we had that really nice early early kind of adopter relationship. But th- that's what I was looking for all the time was bits of kit where it wouldn't take up much space, um, but I could do. I, it was the most versatile. Um, and, and I've made some stupid purchases in the past, but um, uh, you, you, soon, you soon learn from those mistakes. But um, it, I think that the key thing when I very first started was thinking, right, how can I maximize the, uh, from a financial point of view, the, the revenue in a specific time frame? So I could see one patient, which would be, you know, sort of around 50 quid, or 
I could do um, small group S&C classes where, where, where people are paying 15 quid a time. And then that all of a sudden that, that, that um, adds another 50% onto your revenue for that hour. And, and, it, and it was trying to think about how to do that. Um, but not just willy nilly, it needed to be things that were meaningful for the, for the people that I had in the clinic. But I mean, I, I was constantly telling runners, right, you, you need to do some strength and conditioning, you give them exercises to do, and then they just wouldn't do them. So I put, I put classes on and, um, yeah. and we started off with one or two a week. It was on a Friday night and now, well, when we're open, um, when uh, none of this COVID stuff's going on, we do, um, we do 15 classes a week. Brilliant. Yeah. It's, it, it just organically grew. They got too busy. So we put another one on and, and the evidence is there anyway. So if you, if you did want to put it, put it in the front of them, it's, it's definitely there, isn't it? Yeah. For strength? Yeah. 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 This is it. And, and we would, ha- we would have it where, uh, and the way that we used to do it as well was, um, well, we still do it is, uh, we sell, we sold it in a block. So you yeah. couldn't just do one session. You had to sign up for eight, um, a minimum of eight. And, uh, and that worked really well. Where, you know, it got them in the habit of coming. Um, they could see then the development over over eight weeks, even if it's mainly neural. Um, but they, they could see the the physical changes and in their performance as well. So, um, and then that, that is then the buy in for them to continue doing that. And I see, I hate these kind of um, sign up for passive treatment things. Um, and uh, but I have no problem with signing people up for strength and conditioning courses. Yeah. 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 So, so ethically, that sits well with me as well. Yeah, and that, again, that ties in, I guess, to a bit of your financial management stuff. You've obviously learned that 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 selling in blocks has, is twofold, isn't it? One, it's financially sound, a good idea to do, and it's ethically very good because you're going to talk about those those adaptations where it be acute or chronic over that period of time. So there's a there's a there's an easy way to justify to yourself why you would sell a block of eight, a block of ten, or six months worth of training because you would see that return of investment as an individual yeah. you would get that back um based on your ability to put those sessions together which which is great to hear and it stops all those endurance athletes over training take a bit of time off to get strong which is a which is a great idea it it does lead me on to your pre-selling because i just want to because obviously you do your, your courses now which is great yeah how, how did you sort of move you know sort of into now organizing your own courses you've got all this knowledge you've developed over you know 20 odd years of, of, of content if you like sat in your brain somewhere that some of it goes out to your snc classes some of it goes into your osteopathy sessions is it an amalgamation of those that's now your courses is that where yeah yeah definitely yeah so um i think it's 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 molded over the years so um uh i mean that when i was very first taught um manual therapy um, sport well sports therapy it was really manual therapy rather than sports therapy um but back you know nearly 15 years ago it was very much a um uh a mechanical process and um and i i then used to deliver the sports massage course in that way because that's how i was taught um but then obviously as i um understood uh manual therapy a lot more and and especially with the emerging science now um i i then I then thought that there's a real gap in the knowledge of these manual therapy courses. And um, the reasons why uh, they often struggle to 
um, formulate rate relationships with clinicians is because some of the stuff that they're taught is just so far behind the times that, it, that there's just such a disconnect between the two so what i've tried to do is put together a course that that bridges that gap basically between the kind of level three level four um personal training courses as well and um uh and the sports massage courses and through to clinicians uh so that they understand medical terminology they understand pathology um in a much greater detail so that they can have they can screen patients well and uh, or clients well um so that they know when to refer them and uh, the whole thing is about being safe because I, I think looking back i don't think that i was taught to be very safe back back then um i think i would have missed a lot of things just simply because i didn't know what i didn't even know they existed yeah, so um so we're, we're trying to make people aware of what they don't know so that they can then uh, they can then refer when needed. Yeah, and I mean, I remember doing my sports massage call and it, it, it was like military drill again. So you, you had to stand in a certain way at the commands, you'd pick up a leg and yeah. all, you know, and it was done. You need to do seven of those followed by seven of those and then turn sideways by 90 degrees and do another seven. Not, not once knowing why I would do it. Yeah. Not once <laughs> if that was safe or not. But again, it got you the, I just, yeah. you just wrote, learned a routine irrespective on whether that person probably needed that routine or not so i don't think even clinical reasoning could even have been was ever mentioned i don't <laughs> think <laughs> what do you want right you can have it and as you say you're missing out all those potential pitfalls of all things you could do very very wrong of course especially when we're, we're talking about spinal uh, reasons of course but yeah it's just nice to see that that's developed so we've now got the idea you've you've got your courses running and, and how long have they been going for now oh man so uh, well i kind of missed out a step actually in the career <laughs> so i did i did two uh, after the canon stuff i did two years as a national trainer for la fitness um, oh, right. so uh and i helped write and deliver all of the la fitness in-house courses Wow. So uh, that yeah, so I did that for two years, and and it was that, and it was getting the contacts then that, um, and and I've continued to do it ever since. So because because I, I was doing like lifeguard courses, we did um, we did the old studio cycling stuff, and uh, and then people would then contact me to run because they'd moved to a different company. So they'd go, oh, can you do a first aid course for me? Can you do a lifeguard course for me? And then it ended up being that on the weekends. So I'd be doing, you know, Monday to Friday teaching at the college. And then on the weekend, I'll be doing my own courses. Yeah. Um, and then when um, when I started teaching the, the fitness stuff um, at the college, I then got my own training center with Active IQ. So I, was, I was one of the first Active IQ centers um, back then as well. And uh, so, so it's it's been going since then, since about 2006, 2007. And um, yeah, I've I've just been developing little bits here and there, and I I did a lot of CPD stuff. So I I would do um, I do one day courses, kind of update courses, and then and then I kind of I've I've pretty much stopped all that now, and I just focus on our movement therapy diploma, um, which is a three year course. It's basically the the idea with it is um, is it gives people uh, degree level content but without going to uni. So, yeah. um, and, yeah. uh, and obviously without the accreditation, cause I'm not affiliated with the university, but, um, it, it's, 
I hope that by the end of it, they will be very, very good and thorough therapists. And that, and that, and that's always what I've wanted to do. So, um, you know, I, I used to play around with the old kind of uh, two week intensive course in manual therapy, but I just like, I'm not, it doesn't sit comfortable with me anymore. And, um, and, and now I've gone right this is it if you want to do it great if you don't there's other courses out there yeah brilliant. yeah which again is quite a nice nice thing to hear that you could do it if you wanted to you could put two weeks on and charge people a fortune and, and send them away with with no real understanding about what they're doing or you could get them in for three years and make sure at the end of it or hopefully make sure at the end of it they got some you know something behind them that will serve them well when they leave which is yeah. a good thing and you know i know people have done your course uh one i used to train with at the gym obviously so you know, and it gets great feedback, so we need to. Brilliant, thank you. Yeah, make sure that that's. Uh, we'll stick that in the in the links when we put them out, so you can go and take a look at Mike's site. Anyway, thank just you. one thing I think I'd like to sort of almost finish off with is, in terms of learning opportunities, you, uh, you, you I could fill a page of all the things you've probably said about all the things you've gone and done, <laughs> which, is, which is quite nice to hear and, and where you've got the time for. I'm not 100 percent sure, <laughs> but, but things like mentorship. Was there anyone in your career you thought? I mean, you said about one or two people you work with who, who you've taken all the good stuff and yeah. disregarded or, or wouldn't use the stuff that other people done. In terms of finding a, a mentor, has, has that been, has that happened to you? Because you, you know, a lot of books will say if you can find someone who's, who can help, or has it just been, I've just done this by myself and I've, I've, I've been very lucky that I've found people who can help me. Yeah. Or have you actually actively worked with someone and, you know, as a sort of mentee? Yeah, no. yeah, I mean, not in any kind of official mentorship role, but um, there's a chap um, I met him. Oh, this is good. yeah, over ten years ago, and uh, he's been brilliant. Uh, his name's Martin Haynes, and um, he uh, is a physio um, by trade. Well, a recreational remedial gymnast or whatever they were called back then, and yeah. um, he um, he will he will kill me for getting that wrong. And uh, yeah, he he used to work with uh, Crystal Palace and Arsenal. Um, he used to work with, with the um, big, and then he worked in um, uh, Formula One as well with the McLaren team. So you know, really, really good pedigree. And uh, he uh, he was such a good teacher. Um, well, he still is. Um, I do I do quite a bit of work with him still now. Um, and uh, we've got a real nice um, kind of relationship where we'll bounce ideas off each other and um, uh, well we're at that stage now where I can I can do that with him Um, whereas previously um, I was just like a sponge just soaking up everything he was saying everything he did Um, and uh, he would question everything as well which was brilliant and uh, I I found it very difficult at the beginning because um uh, I, I think it, but now I see the benefit in it. Yeah, because you you think people are just being you know um, picky for the for the fun of it, but they they want you to be better. And and the thing that is really nice is that when you think about things that you, that you know and you understand and you you follow things through in, in clinical practice, you if you question what you're doing. Uh, and question the validity of what you're doing it may not actually change what you do so the practice might not change but your understanding of it is then very different and 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 i think that's really key because um you know you'll get things that will challenge you both one way and the other which is the whole point of you know critical um critical appraisal 
and um but that's a good thing yeah and uh and and that's what he did um for me definitely and we got yeah we got so obviously we work with between us a few clinicians at the university and i think one of them uh or one thing that's always stuck in my mind for one is that any time a patient ever asked you why you were doing it if you couldn't have an answer you shouldn't be doing it yeah 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 really good why why are you doing that treatment to me if you can't give an answer that's correct or you can justify why you're doing it, then then arguably you shouldn't be doing it at all and i think that's quite a nice yeah. way of thinking of it if you've gone on a week's course and you just learned to do something you know as you say this sort of mechanistic approach to it all where you don't really understand what you're doing you just do it someone ever said why you're doing you couldn't give them an answer yeah it was just page 24 in that manual told me that's what i've got to do so that's why i'm doing it yeah yeah, yeah quite nice to see that, that that questioning and the same i guess with our students that we, we question try and question everything it's not a negative thing it's just get, getting people to think so it's nice that you've got someone in you in your life if you like that will question uh, more than just your kids they'll just question everything you actually do yeah <laughs> but I, th- I think as well twitter's helped with that you know over over the years uh, you, you know there, there are some real loud mouths on twitter um, yeah. but that if you don't take offense and and you and you read into what they say and because it really challenges your thoughts and um and i think you've got to be really careful that not not to become too offended by what people say um and uh, and and not d- dig a bit deeper than just the twitter co- comments and yeah. um yeah because there is some really good stuff out there and it and it's brought me on as a clinician because it's challenged what i've thought and that that's exactly what we should we you know that's what should happen yeah i mean i was saying before before we start recording i got i got interviewed by a student not long ago and one of the things one of the questions was what did i wish we had or i'd had when i was a student compared to what they have and i just said oh the volume of information would have been great you know the day of going into a library which is unheard of and <laughs> finding a journal on you know a hard copy of a journal standing by a photocopier photocopying it and then highlighting it and trying to read from it and then going back the next day and or you've hidden it behind the bookcase so no one else could find it and then you go <laughs> yeah. all those things that that we all did at uni but but then on the flip side of that is there's so much information out there that trying to to trying to get that information or learn that information or read that information i guess outside of university is actually very difficult because they're behind a very very big paywall so you know if you wanted to go and read the latest systematic review and meta-analysis on whatever therapy it may be yeah you might have to get access or you might have to pay quite a considerable amount of money to get it clearly we you'd have friends in in university to get it for you i guess but there's there's almost too much information i think at times so the twitter arguments occasionally become to me which are which articles have i read that i may have my pre-existing bias with anyway mm-hmm. compared to the articles that you've read that you may equally have your pre-existing bias and actually the argument just becomes pointless because it's i've read 10 articles so have you yours have said one thing mine have said the other yeah can't really agree because we're almost both right that the articles we have read because yeah. we haven't read them all, um as tennis has become a stalemate now that we don't know which way we're going but i think the idea of twitter is great that you can people can just put those articles up very quickly oh i i've seen this new one new article come out and it's tied into these others that have gone down this route now for a particular treatment and it's and it's almost forces you to go and read which i think is a good thing De- definitely yeah definitely nice see with twitter that, that it's a very quick way of getting information out and providing you just don't follow one individual who's who's got a pre-existing bias that will never change, then it's actually quite nice to follow a, a range of people that occasionally might have a bit of a rant with each other. Um, and you can just watch that play out for a, 
for a day or two on Twitter until they apologise and then go back to their normal job. <laughs> yeah, it's the old uh, the old meme of uh, well, Michael Jackson eating popcorn, is it? You just kind of <laughs> sit back and watch. Yeah. I'll- play out and see who comes out the top of it i mean the greg, greg layman's a great one for me um he, he's so good because he he says look i'm gonna that these are my biases this is what i believe but i am going to look for things that challenge my bias and uh i, I just think that's so refreshing to hear and uh, and I, I I do try to do that where I can. Um, I mean, that, say t- time is a is an issue. Being able to read everything that's out there, but I think yeah, I think you've got to. If you if you think something is a certain way and you're kind of like, yep, cast iron, that's it. Then you need to you need to have a look for the opposite view. Yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Make, make make some attempt to read it and then maybe get someone to explain it to you, which is yeah. again, yeah. <laughs> A skill in itself to say, look, I don't really understand this, and I'm not even going to open up the statistical can of worms. But in terms of p values, but again, that's that's now coming back up again. Um, we just need people to explain to other people why maybe or what the opportunities or differences are, or what you know how how else may we explain um, when we look at our studies in terms of differences. So yeah, it's a, there's a lot of to, a lot to digest, uh, a lot to digest when you've been, I guess, down the the, the path that you have from. A lifeguard and silver service and the gym <laughs> yeah. to osteopathy so yeah. yeah it's been a it's been a great journey and it's it's nice to hear so i think i just got to say thank you mike for joining me again so right, no problem no worries 45 minute chat about uh, where you've been i just hope those students or people who are having a change of career will be a bit inspired by it and say well it can be done because it clearly does it's nice to actually put a voice to to maybe what people just read in books to say i'll oh, just keep going plod on do this do that it's actually quite nice to see what you've actually done to get you to where you are. And that I can well imagine that your business in 10 years won't look like it does now. So I can very well imagine yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, with everything that's going on right now, I think even in six months, it's going to be different. Yeah. Because you have to adapt. And um, yeah, I think t- telehealth now is, is going to be huge, I think. So if you if you can't adapt to it, then you're going to really struggle. Yeah. Yeah. And, and be that our last lesson then for this, that, if you don't adapt to stuff, then you're going to find it really difficult later on. So cheers for that, Mike. No Thank worries. you. Mike. Cheers, Mark. Meet you soon. Thank you. Take care.